When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Season 5 of And The Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I give my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And The Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the Music Modernization Act, gotten songwriters added to Album of the Year for the Grammys, and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you and congrats. Now, as you know, I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built for musicians by musicians, you can use Banzoogle's tools to design a website, EPK, sell music, merch directly to your fans commission free. But Banzoogle just recently launched fan subscriptions, which lets fans pay a monthly fee in exchange for exclusive rewards and access to your music. Like all Banzoogle sales tools, fan subscriptions are commission free. Just go to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code AT. TWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Songwriters, think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song that goes viral. Enter the 20th Annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with L. King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Send in your best songs now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's prodigious songwriter and artist is right now 
literally the number one producer on Billboard magazine. No, 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 no. I'm the number two producer. Louis Bell is the number one producer, and he has been for three weeks. I was the number one producer for three weeks before that, but I've been the number one songwriter for six weeks. Is right now literally the number two producer on Billboard magazine's top producer list. His innovative musicality and eloquent arrangements, along with his co-writer's vocal prowess, is defining the next generation both artistically and culturally. Pretty phenomenal start of a career, and he's doing it alongside his sister, Billie Eilish. From the far-off distant land of Highland Park, California, this guy's growing up entertaining people not just from making music, but also by acting on Smash TV shows. Who is this guy? He's producing, co-written every song on Billy's first two releases, including the number one debut album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? And the writer is the budding legend, Phineas O'Connell. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me, man. That's really nice. Yeah, you're welcome. So, the, okay, so uh, I'm going to make you retell stories that we were just yeah. talking about in my kitchen. We have, I've, I met you five minutes ago, so there's, we're not going to have to recover too much ground. Let's start with, um, we have a friend in common. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Eric Palmquist. Yeah. Who I went to high school with. Crazy. So how is it that you and I have... A friend anybody? in common? Yeah. Um, so Eric Palmquist is a, a wonderful guy and a producer of of great records. Uh, he produced the the Thrice Comeback album. Cool. Um, uh, to be everywhere is to be nowhere. I think is the title, which was sort of acronized to Tibetan. And um, he produced the first two albums by a band called Bad Sons. That as a as a teen in an indie band, I idolized. And so, in kind of everyone's quest to like. Work with the chef who made their favorite dish. I, I <laughs> sought out Eric Palmquist, and the way you seek somebody out is you find some page where someone's manager is listed. In this case, nobody's manager was listed. The first Badsons record hadn't even really blown up when I was interested in them. I couldn't find credits on Wikipedia. I found the mastering engineer by accident. I was looking through like like mastering engineers discography websites. Found this guy John Greenham who still masters every Billy track and emailed him directly because mastering engineers have no representation. Sure, <laughs> and of course. You can, I have, every time I talk to any mastering engineer, like Howie Weinberg, Legend, Master Demon Days by Gorillaz, a billion other albums. Anytime I call anybody, even for the first time, it's like the web the, the website email listed or the website phone number and you call it and you think it's going to be somebody and it's like, it's just, this is Howie. And yeah, you're like, exactly. oh my goodness, this is high. This was so funny because Howie was not that long ago. Had no idea about any of the music I've made, which is perfectly fine. He's been a legend forever. And he goes, uh, so did you make this song in your bedroom? And I go, I did. And he goes, that's okay. <laughs> nice. Perfect. So funny. And uh, anyway, so so the, the genesis of Eric Palmquist was that I found his manager, a guy named Danny Ruckison. And Danny set up a meeting for me and Eric. Danny is a, a a dogged person and and works really hard and never uh, left an email of mine hanging for longer than twenty or thirty minutes and uh, yeah hooked me up with Eric um, I went and met with him played him a bunch of demos that I'd made myself and he ended up producing some music for um, my high school band which was very exciting for me and I paid for the EP um, off of doing some uh, some acting work. But that's kind of usually how I felt about acting. I was like, "Sweet, this is going to finance the 
the band. Well, let's let's go to the the beginning of the story. Um, you know, I've done a little bit of research. So you know, know your it, discography is so big, I couldn't even find your full discography. It the Wikipedia is like, here's all his number ones. That's a cool start. That's so dope. Yeah, thanks, like man. how cool is that? I know a lot of your discography because of like looking at the actual album credits and going like, oh my god, it's Ross. But when you actually, I wanted to just go and make sure that I wasn't like going to reference some album that I've loved my whole life, and you'd be like, I, I made that. Out. I wanted to just like know it all. But Wikipedia just goes like, here's all of the the, the biggest hits ever that he's made. It's awesome. Well, like it's a it. long that's list. A, that's a, that's that's strange because you know I think most of those songs. Like your story are written um, at a time when you're trying to be honest as a writer. Oh, got it. So you know a lot of those, a lot of the songs that I've had that have worked are still ones that I started. You know, when I tell the story about "Dangerous Woman," was written in in a a bedroom in a house that we were renting. That was, uh, that is now part of like a tent city. <laughs> like it was not a nice house. <laughs> and sitting in that room, and I'm, you know, you wearing pajamas fest. and writing like, writing that kind of dangerous woman chorus and then bringing mm-hmm. that into a session and being like, hey, this is Check an it idea. It's like, yeah. it's still so much of it starts, you know, at least my best stuff happens when I'm not in the fanciest of studios. Oh, totally. You know? But yeah. you're, you know, that's that's a big part of your story is that you grew up in a house where there are a lot of instruments and yeah. uh, and you guys would record at home. But do you have any other siblings? No, but I've always wished I had a third to mix all of my music. I thought that would be really <laughs> yeah, cool. Exactly. Just super efficient. Here it is. Yeah, exactly. Terrence. Um, are your parents musicians? Obviously, they, um, they yeah, are. Yeah, they're, they're sort of the, the impolite term would probably be hobbyist, which mm-hmm. it sort of sounds offensive in some way, but I only say that because they never made a living off of it. Did they write? Um, my, our mom is a great songwriter. Yeah, yeah, but again, like never for a living. Just did wrote. you ever write with her? I don't know if I've written with her more than like one time in my life. But she part of the sort of gateway of of my being a songwriter was that um, Billy and I were homeschooled and we were participating in a sort of a co op of sorts where different parents who had different backgrounds would teach classes. Whoa, it's pretty awesome. And, why? Uh, why? Yeah. Um, well, I was homeschooled. I like to talk about my mom has this whole sort of philosophy behind homeschooling and individualized learning. And I'm just like, I was a weirdo. And so they homeschooled me. So I wasn't bullied all the time. I had like, is that true? Is that why yeah, you think? I was so weird? And I had like crazy separation anxiety growing up. And I think there were a lot of sort of arrows. And, and our, my parents at the time were, um, you know, actors, which sort of, by definition, is a part-time job because you're auditioning and then doing the shoot. But a lot of the time, you're home and like learning your sides and stuff. So they, they had this sort of time, and they're also like the the older I get, the more I become aware that they're like highly educated people that were quite qualified to have homeschooled kids and teach them a lot of stuff. Um, and one of the things my mom did was write songs, and um, she taught a, a songwriting class to me and some friends of mine at when I was twelve. And uh, her style was like, couldn't have asked for a better sort of like, quote unquote, songwriting teacher because, you know, as a songwriter, like her whole kind of approach was like, 
there's no wrong way to write a song. Like, all I'm basically going to do to start with is like, we're going to listen to a lot of great songs and we're going to talk about like what the names of the parts of them are and, you know, what, what you like about them, you know. And it was just this kind of like songwriting philosophy class with this sort of structure built into it. But yeah, I think whatever, did, whatever gene is a songwriter gene, I definitely got from mom. How did you get rid of the, the social anxiety that you would have had? I never still have, have had it? social anxiety. I had separation anxiety. Separation anxiety. How did you get rid of the separation anxiety? Um, well, because it would seem ask, like if you're ask at home, me when I don't tour with my entire family all year. Right. Okay. Um, no, I mean I have. Uh, I think that to the way that it sort of petered out for me was that they were always super tolerant of of any kind of neuroses that I bore and like. I really like. I slept in the same bed as my mom and my sister until I was like eleven. No, yeah. I was like nine. Ele- yeah, I was nine. But like, there was just sort of like a like a point in my life where I was like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sleep in my room now. And it was just this. It's just kind of growing up, you know. The life where you guys have, you know, a, a you know a, what a one two bedroom house, two bedroom, you know. Yeah. Um, it's so quick to have gone from that to where you are now, or at least it's quick uh, from an outsider's point of view. It's, it takes yep. forever while you're in it. Yeah, that's um, a good way of putting it. How are how how do you emotionally deal with that quick of a change? It's not like to be honest, you know. It's like I I look at your discography is really young. It's you know crazy young. It's like one album. And in that amount of time, the switch from being being a, in a in a family that's struggling to a family that's touring worldwide is a total different scenario. So, what what is that like? <laughs> um, well, I'll give a kind of a two part answer. the The first is that I a friend of mine reached out the other day, the day that we put out a remix of the song "Bad Guy" with Justin Bieber singing the second yeah. verse. And the genesis of that is that Billy's been like a, a diehard believer since she was like six and just loves Justin Bieber, as I think you know most girls in her generation do. And uh, and so it was this kind of like you know God tier thing yeah. to do for her to have him hop on a song of hers, you know, and not like not the other way around. Like he jumped on like her song, you know, it's crazy. And a friend of mine texted me just kind of a a, a, a sweet like. Congrats, like, dude, this is crazy. And I wrote back and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to like be aware every day that it's, it could be like the best year of my life. And I like, it's obviously the best year of my life so far, but I'm 21 and I'm also like looking forward, like, this could be, this could be the best year of my life. And my friend was like very sweet. And like, as I think any friend would be like, like, I don't know, bro, like, you know, whatever. And I was like, listen, all I'm saying is like the kind of, the kind of lifelong, like, I will be happy when X happens. I wake up and I think like, if I if I don't allow myself to be like happy today, I'll never be happy. You know what I mean? Like like I think it's just kind of a checking in with yourself of like, you know, achieving things and being able to enjoy them while you're achieving them and not, you know, being sort of caught up in like the fleeting nature of them or where you're headed next or whatever. You know, I think it's like. I I knew from like the age of like twelve that all I wanted to do was make music for a living and. You know, I was always kind of like reading up on like anyone who was involved in albums of my uh, my childhood, anything that like anyone made music I loved. So you know, I think as you kind of cross those those um, items off your bucket list, you know, you just gotta 
appreciate it. And that's one of the reasons why we were excited about doing this interview is that a lot of the people we talk to have been, you know, some of them are on the sunset part of their career. I mean, the same season that we'll be doing this, we interviewed Paul Anka, who's eighty. Legend, though. Paul Anka's the best. Yeah, yeah, and but, but it, you know, to to have somebody who's that was one who, I was I was like I can listen to I can listen to Paul, <laughs> like for sure. You know, like nineteen fifty six is when he broke right. his career. So it's like it, it's just such a different thing to be as somebody who's able to look back on their career versus um, when people ask them why we do this podcast. I'm like, well, most documentaries. That are people now talking about then is really boring to me because that's about a document about a documentary about how someone remembers right. versus interviewing somebody who's going through it and to understand like this is the interview we'll do that'll be the follow up in five years. It'll I be like the one idea of someone going, "How was your interview with Phineas?" and you get to go, "Man, he's really going through it." <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, right? <laughs> but I mean, it is such a uh, it is such like a crazy. Thing to go through to um, how fast things have changed, but you know, you were saying that you knew when you were twelve. Why did you know when you were twelve? Just because your mom taught the songwriting class, you're like, oh, I, I'm better than the rest of these people <laughs> in my my class, or what made you say, okay, well, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? I think most people's childhoods, certainly mine, is full of like phases of enthusiasm. Like as a kid, you're like, oh my god, cowboys are the coolest, or you know, whatever. That was I was, had a big cowboy face. Um, but at, at like 11, 12, like the kids that, that I thought were like cool that I was friends with that I looked up to that were a little older than me got like way into bands and were listening to a lot of Green Day. And I remember like going to a Green Day concert and having like, I want to do this for a living. Like, whatever that, that is, I want to do that. And we were at the forum. And I do remember like at the time sort of thinking, like, it's probably a phase, but like it's definitely like the phase I'm in right now. And it's just sort of, Evolved with me into like whatever form of music I've been interested in. What's the first song you wrote? Um, Ocean Eyes. I'm kidding. I wrote a song um, called I think like Don't Forget Me. That was like a sort of a Green Day ripoff. A lot of like the music that you know I made for the first several years is like very derivative of whatever I was. Was it good? Listening to. Um, I'm. I don't think so retroactively, but it was definitely like. It had like structural integrity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was, that's kind of the thing I've always like. That's that innate thing of like, this is a hook and this is a verse and whatever. Like whether you're kind of, whether it's sophisticated or not, like it definitely got stuck in everybody's head, you know? Were you recording at home already at that point? Were you like 12 and here's, because this is one of, one of the other things that this generation for the most part, and I know you play piano. Yeah. But most people, the instrument that they're given when they're younger is a computer, which Crazy, is why right? we have so many DJs. Instead of when I was little, everyone had a guitar or they had a piano, or yeah. I mean, I had a trombone. <laughs> so, Hell yeah, Ross! You know, <laughs> not my maybe not my coolest moment, but it's true. It's pretty um, cool. Maybe it's cool. I feel like that's like have you have you played it on some like hit records yet? Uh, I've played some interesting instruments. I have like a fake saxophone. I've played on some oh, records, cool. and I've played. Um, I, I think we. There's one thing where we we paced together some sort of brass thing and then tuned it to so it sounded a little better than uh-huh. you know. But um, 
most of the stuff is guitar, piano, yeah, a lot so, of singing. I sing on everything. That's awesome, but not that. But before I, mean, I forget, when, yeah, I'm a. I we, we did sort of through happenstance um, a little press run with Billy Rafool back in 2017. Oh, yeah. I love that dark four door song. Thanks, I think man. that's a great song. I have a a handful of songs that I wish people noticed. Okay, so that was I just because I'm going to interview you a little bit on this okay, podcast. Sure. I, hopefully, um, yeah. I think like. People people often love to kind of band about things like, "Do you ever think this song was gonna be as huge as it?" And I'm always like, "Yes, songs rocks." Yeah. And the thing that I mainly <laughs> think is like, this song should have been huge and it wasn't. Yeah. When I'm involved in stuff like that, and I guess I was just curious because you've had a longer career than I have. Are there are there examples that you can point to on one hand of like, I think this is like one of the best things I've ever made, and it is not heard by people. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Do you have a good um, example? Well, I mean, the thing I'm dealing with right now is that, you know, I'm I'm releasing a, an album in a week. And it's like, and it's being made in a musical in New York and all this. Yeah, I, I've heard really that, good stuff about The Wrong Man. That's the, uh, that's the craziest thing just because for years it would be like, um, this is the thing that people should hear, but I'm not going to play it for anybody. <laughs> So I'd rather fly to you or play for you in person, but I'll never do a recording of it. And it kind of taught me that if I believe in something, then I should just wait until the time comes to it. Like mm. the end of the thank yous on the album was, uh, you know, something that references that. You know, that's if because I've made the mistake. There was, there's, you know, um, most of the songs that are on this wall. Like there's. Unkiss Me for Maroon Five was a song where it's a great song. they they were um, you know uh, Jordan the manager who passed away he called me so, you know this is this is going to be the ballad this is the song this is going to be huge for them they need this on the album and um, they did seven singles and none of them were ballads you know it's like uh, Nicki Minaj did a song called Marilyn Monroe and on her her website it was a vote for her next single and it had you know 50,000 votes and the next song was you know 3,000 it was just the she toured with it it was the fans the whole thing and then she got in a lot of trouble for doing pop music because she was a rapper and she was she went and did you know some urban shows and the DJs were all like you can't be on this you're a pop star now and she just Didn't Rosenberg just like was like yeah. you're not a rapper. Yes. And it and it basically <laughs> so just disrespectful. And it just killed it just killed her whole the whole rest of the album. You know, I don't it's like Bieber doing Take You did it on on the Billboard Awards or something like that, but didn't end up making it a single. It's like there there's so many that were so close mm. but didn't get the push. Sure. And I mean, who knows if they would have been successful? But I do think that sometimes the difference of somebody having eight number ones versus four number ones might just be whether or not they were the singles, you know? Right. I mean, what's it from your perspective when you do every song on an album? Do you have favorites, or do you not really care how it goes? Yeah, I mean, I the thing that I quantify more than than favoritism is is just differentiation. I want everything to stand on its own and feel really different when the next one plays. You know, when you listen to like an album by, yes. like, especially a band, and you're like, "Is that so?" Or wait, no, 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 wait, no, no, it's not the, it's this one. You, that like weird thing. And so to me, it's like always just really important that like if you were like painting them all with colors, that they'd all have like a totally different color on them, you know. And you, oh, <laughs> there you go, dude. That right there is a guitar lily. 
Which is actually kind of a cool instrument yeah. when it's not on the ground. But is it's it, actually like it's a, got six strings. Yeah. It's I love a that. It's tuned in A. Oh, cool. Yeah. You can play it later. I, I might have to. Um yeah, I usually try to you know, that's as a producer, as do a Do you have synesthesia? Do you know what that is? I do, yeah. Do you have that? Yeah, Billy and I both have it. Really? Yeah, it's kind of like Kanye Westified now. Like like I feel like, you know. Synesthesia is when you hear music and you see a color, right? Well, it's a synesthesia is a very broad term for sort of like essentially random associations that like if you hear a sound, you might see a color. If you um taste a flavor, you might think of image or something. There's a lot of kind of abstract associations. So it's multiple senses. It's just yeah, sensory having cross one sense sensory and, yeah. association. Uh-huh. To me, does everyone in your family have that? Dad does, mom doesn't really. Huh. Yeah. And the funniest part about it is that it's super abstract and we get into like completely pointless, hilarious arguments where I'm like, Sunday is a deep blue. And Billy's like, it's funny, Sunday is gray. You know, and you're like, well, this is this is contrived, um, but yeah, I think it's we keep it on the low because I think it's I think people brag about it like it's superpower, and to me, I'm like you're like a little bit like insane, like you know, what I mean? it's not like that dope. It's like Dave Schwartz, who's from the Eurythmics, who's yeah. you know he he gave a note on a song once, and he was just like, yeah, this part's just too yellow. Well, so we we've done the same thing. Our A and R Sam Reback at Interscope sent us his. Opinion of track listing for the Don't Smile at Me EP we put out in 2017. And we were like, Copycat and My Boy cannot go together. And he was like, Why? And I was like, They're both red. And he was <laughs> like, Okay, man. <laughs> he was like, Not impressed. Right. But uh, to me, I was like, Yeah, it's just too much red right at the front of the EP. How did you and your sister start writing together? Um, I was uh, 18 and playing in this band that I've always sort of. Taken everything that I do a little bit too seriously. Not that I don't like enjoy it, but I really just am like, this could be the thing, you know, even since I was like 12. And so when I was 18, I was playing in this band and like really hoping we would be the biggest band in the world. As what I was think, that band called? The Slightlies. I, I made, uh, I like your, and the writer is matches, I had 1,500 picks made. I played with my Slightlies picks until like the middle of this past tour. And then they finally ran out. Um, but uh, yeah, I was 18 and had always loved the idea of writing for other people and writing with other people and had mainly just been writing with and for my band alone and then bringing it to the other three guys in the band and sort of orchestrating it together. And then... A f- Did you guys have a deal? No, yeah, no. We were No, nobody cared. Right. We were also underage. I think that's a big... I think people don't want to like... Work with you if they're ha- gonna have to work with your parents, which I think is like pretty fair, honestly. Aren't you guys half in that situation now a little bit? Yeah, but I think it's different when it's <laughs> so clearly monetizable. <laughs> as soon as people are like, well, we'll make a lot of money off this, they're they're more excited about it. But um, and also our parents are great. Like I don't I don't say that on behalf of our parents. I say that on behalf of kind of a general, yeah. you know, stigma. But um, yeah, when I was eighteen, I I wrote a song. For Billy to sing, if she wanted to, uh, called "She's Broken." And had she, had uh, she been writing and singing before that? She had been writing like a very small amount and was already singing and had a beautiful voice and just has always had really great pure tone and incredible pitch, like such good pitch. 
And uh, and so I wrote this song for her and was like, if you want to sing it, it would be cool. And then I sort of produced it in a very different style. So just to sidebar, production-wise, I was just sort of like always experimenting with Logic Pro. Like I had it from the time I was 13 and was like always trying to get good at it, but was it was just sort of purely kind of experimental. And as far as like my band stuff, I was like looking for the answer in other producers and just sort of like trying to like learn it was like trying to learn a language to speak it with other people. Like if I learn how to produce a little bit, then I can sort of articulate what I want better to a producer. I just got a, a new computer right here and it's filled with with apps or not with apps, with plugins. There you go. And uh, and uh, if you have a vocal chain that I can have, yeah. What do you use for your vocal chain? Is this Nothing. like the dorkiest thing? Nothing. Yeah, a Logic Stock compressor, and I EQ out the low end because I use a Neumann TLM one hundred three that picks up a lot of. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. Shame on you. You're supposed Dude, to use so I've many been, plugins. I've been the number one there. songwriter for six weeks. Fuck with me. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I love it. So wait, um, how are you guys good friends in a household where you siblings? guys are all? I mean, I'm sure everyone awesome. like all siblings, but how do you, how do you guys like each other? That's so awesome. Well, you know, I mean, do you have siblings? Yeah, I just talked to her. So you just talked to her, right? Yeah. So like, I think the beauty of it is that like we totally still bicker and argue and like. You know, have really passionate opinions and disagree, but like none of it like matters. You know what I mean? And I think that's pretty awesome. And like, neither of us have ever like hurt each other's feelings. And I feel like collaborators, you can like really get your feelings hurt somehow. Yeah. It's somewhere like a really different thing. And yeah, I so, don't get along with any of my old bands for that reason. Same. <laughs> Is that right? Do you get? Do you not really talk to any of your old? I have one. I have one friend who. Um, the the sort of like last the final iteration of my band sort of dissolved without like a real like blowout and so we all kind of stayed friends um, but my kind of best friend of several years is the the person that I wrote that I lost a friend song about because we had a falling out yeah. last year and stopped talking it was this sort of hard thing for me to grapple with why but, did it fall out um, I think you'd probably get sort of two different answers from two different people but you know I think we like. He needed some some time and some space to be his own person and sort of find his own identity and um, you know. Songwriters, you could be the grand prize winner and score up to five thousand dollars in cash, one of twelve Martin guitars, as well as a mentoring session with El King, Joe London, or myself. The lyric winner will win a opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Enter the twentieth annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitar Strings and CMT now through October thirty-first at NSAI.CMT.com. NSAI, the National Songwriters Association. International is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. Today's podcast is brought to you by the musician website, 
Banzoogle. And for regular listeners of And The Writer Is, you already know, you can use Banzoogle to build a website, EPK. You know you can sell your music merch, commission-free. Um, you know, you can promote your shows, collect emails from fans, send professional newsletters, all that stuff. But Banzoogle, since season four of And The Writer Is, has now added a new crowdfunding feature that lets you crowdfund your next project commission-free. That means you don't need a record deal anymore to pay for your album. You now can do pre-orders. You can do, do your own bundling with digital music and CDs and vinyl. You can report sales to SoundScan. You can create custom merch bundles. I mean, the, it's really an all-inclusive website. It's really impressive. So you can go to bandzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days, or you can use a promo code ATWI to get 50 percent off the first year of any subscription. That's banzoogle.com promo code ATWI to build a website for your music. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are you finding that being successful at, um, at your age? Yeah. It it gets easier when you become as you get older to become successful because your peers have also figured out how not to starve, right. and and at a, at a certain age it's like half your friends are are just trying to figure out you know how to get by and how to pursue things and then yeah. everyone especially in LA you have you know a lot of my friends are actors and they'd be some of them would be in shows that would be on network television and right. they'd be getting 50,000 an dollars, episode yeah. and then the other you know then you know and you're going to sessions trying to just get a publishing deal you know are you finding that it's that that's part of the issue right now that mm-hmm. being successful at a young age yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's there. I think it, it definitely divides you from the people you grew up as peers with more than it divides you from like whatever peer group you you sort of find yourself actively in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think conversely, I've found that like sometimes I've I've made a couple friends who are who are very successful, and and I feel like. Whoa! <laughs> like just with the kind of with the iciness of like the watch, you know, like you know, like people wear some money that I'm like, that's crazy. Like yeah. I thought, I thought Payless Shoe Source was the shoe store until I was like 16. You know what I mean? And then I bought a pair of Doc Martens and only wore them for like a year and a half. Like there's there's just stuff that like was just my only reality, and then other people like just like. Buying a backpack for like four grand is like something that I'm just like, 
who hmm. would do this? Like, it just seems crazy to me. You know what Quality, I mean? Quality, man. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> um, you're only buying the best. Yeah. Um, your your parents were both actors, are uh-huh. both actors. Right. And uh, I just wanted to go back because I feel like we didn't really talk about it. You end up doing acting, like you were saying, kind of yeah. to help pay the bills. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I or love, not to pay the bills, right. but to, like to fund yeah. recording. I love sort of any form of performance. Like I love performing in general. Was that love. part of the classes? Like, did you literally do sort of acting classes in home? And oh, yeah, that was not part of the home education. But I was in like a I was in like a drama class with like some some friends of mine. We did like a drama class. We had a drama teacher. It was fun. Who puts you? I mean, who you puts me up, in a drama thing as a well, homeschooler? No, I mean, a lot of us, like, I mean, I was in homeschool, but a lot of people, people did drama, drama class. Totally. But, but not everybody ends up on a TV show or right. on multiple TV so shows. So that was like, that was the thing that was, um, I was I was in a drama class and my parents were sort of like, they would describe themselves as like working class actors. They had like representation and they were going on auditions whenever they were sent them. And then, you know, you book like a, one out of a hundred auditions if you're lucky, right? It's a crazy ratio. And, um, and I begged my mom for a couple years to let me go and like basically audition for the youth department at her agency to get representation to then start auditioning. And um, the benefit of having parents who like went auditions was that like whatever sort of faux glamour like people that maybe didn't grow up in Los Angeles or didn't grow up in the industry think like the actual day to day of being an actor is was like totally absent from my. View of it, I was like, yeah, you like sit in traffic going to Hollywood for like forty five minutes, and then you wait in a waiting room, and there's like six people that look very similar to your mom, and then you get back in the car, and you've gotten a parking ticket, and the ride home is like very miserable, and then that's like your day. (laughs) And I somehow still was like, sick, sign me up, and so I started doing auditions, and got super lucky, and got I think it was like sort of. My luck and also the luck of a movie being made like this. There was this movie made when I was 12 called Bad Teacher with Cameron Diaz. And it shot in LA and it was like like an entire school full of middle schoolers. And so they had to cast like hundreds of middle school kids. And I was one of them. And basically in the marketing Payout of the film, like had a had a big role in the marketing of it because I threw a dodgeball at her. (laughs) So I was in like all the like YouTube ads for it. Um, But that was when I was like twelve years old, and then I don't think I worked again as an actor. I did one day on Modern Family when I was fourteen, and then I did another one day on Modern Family when I was like seventeen. And then I spent a couple months on the final season of Glee. So, like, of the like several years of auditions I was going on, multiple auditions a week, every week for several years, I did like three or four things. Why even bother doing music though when you're in Glee? Like, why? Why even start being? You know, no, no, no I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna go to this random thing here that's not paying my bills. Well, so Glee in my my. Uh, relationship with with Glee was that it had a planned obsolescence. I joined it during the final season. I like got on it, and it was like the final season of Glee. So there was no kind of like this could last forever for me. You know what I mean? It was like I'm on the next four. I'm on the, the next two months of my life is the show, and the show's done. You know, so that was kind of great because I didn't have to like. First of all, I never would have, but like I didn't have to grapple with any like, do I leave the show and go? 
pursue like my you know like non-existent music career or do I stay on the show? I definitely would have just like stayed on the show. Like I'm right. not that brave. Well, that's where it's weird when you know a lot of people will look at especially again as you get older they'll be like wow you made some really good choices. Like, well, kind of something worked. Yeah, some yeah. something just worked out. Yeah. I've said this, I think, a couple seasons ago, but it's like I went on one one audition. My sister was a commercial agent, uh-huh. and it's like I went on an audition, and I booked it, wow. and it was a subway commercial shot in Sydney, and it literally went uh, on Sydney, Australia. You shot a, you went to Sydney, Australia, yeah. to shoot a subway commercial, and I landed, and they the SAG rules, and I wasn't SAG yet because I had never shot anything, but. Um, they f- have to fly you first class. You get off. They ha- they have a driver and a limo. You have to stay at a certain level hotel because it's international. Right. They pick you up, drive you to the set in a limo, and and there's a cat and there's like a set of a hundred extras, and Crazy. they're all watching me, and they all think I'm an actor. And they were like, "Wow, what show were you on in in the were United States?" Were you in States? any relation to Jared in your commercial? Were you Jared's no, relative? But but the weird thing is, had it worked. Had it worked? Like, what? What if the worst case scenario was that that the that commercial would have worked? Maybe not worst case scenario, but uh, had that worked? Why? You know, it'd be a lot harder for you to take me seriously. I think as a writer, if right. I were the guy who became, you know, oh yeah, well, that's the guy. Yeah, and there. I, I really, I, I, I don't want to like. I'm not trying to insinuate anything by this, but I do think there is like a general sort of. Lack of legitimacy to to like well known actors sort of turning to music, you know. Why do you think that is? Um, I think part of it comes off as an entitlement. I think you're like, oh, just because you're like a famous actor, you think you could do anything on the behalf of like the listener. You know what I mean? And also sometimes you associate actors so much with like whatever character they've played that you're like, it's not that you're like thinking of like Ross Golan making this album. You're thinking of like. Ross, the subway guy, oh making God. this album. Yeah, you we're know? for sure gonna delete this part. The um, you know the um the, the <laughs> but the part of it that's that's true is also that actors are professional liars, and most actors we know we're professional truth tellers. It's like no, you're not. You're like your job is to take someone else's words and make them so authentic that we believe it, and I feel like right. that makes them liars, and that's why. So few a- actors become successful musicians. musicians. Some and some are brilliant, and, and some so obviously they're. I think, they're I going think to be, Donald Glover, you could point to being like pretty brilliant at everything. Yeah, and I wonder if he was, you know, obviously became famous because he was an actor. But I don't know that Childish Gambino is is younger than his acting career. Is it? No, I think Childish. It's probably Gamb- about the same. It's just yeah. I think I, I think people. For the most part, I think people trust the, the those a lot of those great actors. Whether it's you know, or as famous even Frank Sinatra was in a ton of movies. Or, He's great or, in those uh, movies. Yeah, and I Elvis saw him Presley in, in like in the Can Can or something. He's so good. These people so are charming. They were they there are people who trust him because they're they think of them as honest, even though they didn't write their songs. How crazy is it that he was like? The greatest crooner that ever lived, and just like so suave, and a movie star, and maybe having people murdered, like unbelievable. Like that's just an unbelievable like bag to like put your hand into. So we, so you as an artist, okay. What is the future as you as an artist? Um, 
That's a really good question, and I I would I'd totally be lying if I said I knew the answer. But the thing that I do know is that like to me, the sort of like the dream as a teen of like being a member of Green Day, and then like or being like a member of whatever band I was idolizing at the time, you know, The Strokes or something, um, you know, was a was a dream of like that period of my life when that was like the be all and an end all of everything. But whatever I'm getting to actually do right now is like. Even better than that to me, because I get to get into rooms with artists that I love actively and or have loved for years. And um, you mean you as a producer? Yeah, I yeah. think being a writer producer has been so incredibly fulfilling and inspiring and exciting to me in a way that, like, before I conceptualized doing that for a living, I I would have thought. You know, now it's like I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't always think this was all I wanted to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So do you think you're past that? Or because when you were saying that, oh, you know, I mean, obviously the success that's going on with you and Billy is one thing. Right. But you as an artist yep. individually and your own identity musically, you don't yeah. sound like Billy the music you're doing Thanks. with Billy. Well that's definitely been like a it's a really active goal is like how can I really make sure that like people aren't like, well, he's just another, you know what I mean? Like, a, I just don't have her voice. Like, her voice is so beautiful and wonderful, but we have very different voices, so I have to kind of cater to my own voice. Um, and but you sing on a lot of the records. I do sing a lot of them, but I'm I'm doing blood harmony. I'm doing that like sibling blend thing. You know, there's no yeah. like Finn lead on her record. It's all just sort of octaves and stuff. But um, you know, to me. Uh, when I started writing songs, it was all about self-expression. And then the first year I was co-writing with Billy, sort of close to full-time, and then on days where she was busy or in dance classes or something, I was co-writing with other artists. I probably wrote like one song about like how I was actually feeling that year. And I like was so much less kind of like balanced out than I'd been the several years prior because I was like, yeah. oh my god, I'm, I'm not like talking about how I feel at all. I'm like listening to how everybody else in my life feels, mm. and writing for them, you know, and uh, and so that was kind of the impetus for being a solo artist and putting out music on my own name was that I was making a lot of music that was totally autobiographical, yeah, and then singing it, and I was like, well, I would love for people to hear this, and then you know, there's there's just other elements of that that fuel. My creative—it's like the reason you write a musical. You know, there's like so many things that get you excited that you yeah. want to do, and so getting to make you know music videos, and I'm a real performance junkie, so getting to be on stage and sing my own songs and do little goofy dances—super exciting to me. Why is everything with Billy working, and why is it working now? That's awesome. Um, well, it's a it's a little bit tied back to like what I what we were talking about earlier with songs that. For whatever reason, don't work, and that and that that feels more anomalous than something working because you believe in the thing that works. So I think I would I'd be as as far from impartial as humanly possible. Like I Please. think it I think it should work. You know what I mean? Like that's my hubris of like I think it's great. Like I think that album we made is like really great, and so I'm just grateful that other people think it is, and I and I don't take it for granted that other people think it is, but I definitely. Like I'm not like can't believe it. I'm just like wow. I'm so glad they also think it's great. But some something's happening in the in the zeitgeist. Yes. Some something's happening when you have you know famous artists 
involved in the art design and you have Yeah. Well, there's been a reckoning. You have an album without without a song at number like yeah, yeah, three yeah. pop songs going you. number one for the album to be successful, and the production is driving a lot of it. Thanks, man. I still think that there's there's this strange, you know, from an outsider's point of view, and you're you're watching this thing. You're, this is so massive, and it just feels. Um, a friend of mine was saying, I uh, was a an artist who's. Successful in his own right, saying that what he thinks it is about this project is that it's seeing the the mind of a a teenager in what seems like a, a truly honest way. That it's like listening to um, there was a documentary that's on HBO right now where it's that that girl who texted to convince the kid. Oh my to god! Commit suicide, what a crazy! You know? Have you been watching that? I haven't yeah. watched it, but I, I was I followed that whole story when it was in the news. Well, the the weird thing. So their whole relationship, they met once in person or twice it's or something so like that, and their entire dark, their dude. whole relationship was documented in text. So Ugh. they had tens of thousands of texts of of their entire relationship. So unlike any other time in history. Where you'd have it'd have to be hearsay. Right. Well, everything is hearsay. But it's fully written. But here's their entire relationship is through text. It's so dark. And, and one one of the things is that's interesting about listening to this album <laughs> <laughs> is that is that it's like is that as somebody who's not in their teens is that you're listening to this and you're like oh my god I'm. I'm in the bedroom with these kids mm. telling their story. Am I even allowed to listen to this? Like, I feel like it's so honest, and not in a way that that one. That just the idea that there's this magnifying glass on the honesty in yeah. it. And I don't know, but but for me, that's what I feel like we're witnessing. Is it's it's like a. Well, it's a little glimpse into like how so, two humans are living. And I think it's so. Honest. I'm so glad that everyone kind of like looks at it as this super honest portrayal, and there's definitely a lot of honesty in it. But I think that the the sort of thing that people are like putting in 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 bold with underlining is like the honest thing is like the 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 sort of actualization of it. It's that we made it in this honest way, like we made it in a bedroom, and that it's right. our relationship, and that it's. There's there's very few filters that it flows through, but a lot of the songs on the album are these like super f- fantastical like totally. fake things that we made for fun, and so to me it's like like that's part of the honesty in a weird way is that it's not just this record of like a sixteen year old complaining about. Things that sixteen-year-olds would have the right to complain about. There's like these songs, like "Bury a Friend," where it's like this sort of nightmare kind of Kubrick-esque concept that we turn into a song. And then there's like like "Bad Guy," which which Billy and I are like so proud of, and we're so excited it's doing so well. But like, is very like hilarious that it's doing, you know, because it's just kind of like so tongue-in-cheek and and kind of like casting yourself as the adversary in your own narrative. Um, but so, uh, Someone once said, you know, you want to have these, um, you need to, if you're going to be a pop star, you have to be an archetype. Oh, yeah. You know, you want to be a, you need to be an angel, you need to be a devil, you need to be, like, go something extreme. You cast yourself, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I going that. in that way is actually yeah. maybe not intentional, but it's obviously works. Yeah, I mean, she is... 
the 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 coolest part about her, and I think it's summed up really well in this in this this thing that she sort of said one time, which was she was like, I don't want to do, um, I don't want to do any more photo shoots this month. I just want to have you like take photos of me like daily with like an iPhone. And I was like, why? And she was like, because photo shoots make it seem like I wear this stuff at a photo shoot and I wear it all the time. And if it's just an iPhone picture of me in my backyard, they'll know. And I I was like, it was so like, it was, she, she got it in a way that like I didn't even get it, you know, of like sort of presentation of her being like, it's not a presentation. This is how I dress all the time. Yeah. And I want people to know that. And I remember just being like, whoa. And that kind of approach is sort of how we made like all of our decisions. It's like, you know, just doing doing them yourself and taking out all the the filtering in between. The kind of the joke that I've made to like the other couple people who are involved in our crew, our our mixing engineer Rob Kanelski, our mastering engineer John, and then our our um, managers Danny and Brandon, is I'm like, yeah, I I sort of like the thing I was prepared to be the most proud of was like in a time where big pop records are being written by like 13 people and sometimes up to five per song and mm-hmm. produced by several people and it's like the same several people across seven different albums that year that all get nominated for the same Grammys whatever I was like the thing I was so excited about was that it would be this kind of like moment of like wow these two kids made this thing in their bedroom and it's doing pretty okay we should put faith into young artists and everyone just is like, you guys are such an anomaly. <laughs> I'm always like, no, we're not. Like, there's so all of my friends are so cool and like making such cool stuff in their rooms. And it's like this weird thing that people have such a kind of like just so much fear, just like in kind of risk taking in music. And I like ever I think everybody has fear of risks in certain ways. Like there's this song on the album that's like Basically, a suicide note called "Listen," and I, it was like a song that was like, you know, a little intense to write, but really intense to like release because you have this kind of like, you know, you hear things about like Thirteen Reasons Why and like kids sort of like killing themselves because that show kind of is like a manual of how to do. It. And you know, there's a, like you have this feeling of responsibility of like, I don't, I don't want people to. To do things because they feel that we told them to, you know. And um, at the end of the day, our kind of conclusion in that song's case was that it's all kind of about oneself, and it's not the final message of the album. And that I think it it is okay to have like really dark inner monologues and ponder dark things and dark realities and and sort of work them through in your head and and um, that the hope is that like it's like it's not forbidding you from thinking dark things, but but it's not encouraging you to do them. You know, that's the thing that we, you know going back where uh, singers are sort of truth tellers. Yeah, and so people don't look at books or movies or TV shows when they show violence or when they talk about things like suicide. They think of that as entertainment, or they they argue it's entertainment. And when it becomes you know political, if it's 
Public Enemy or it's NWA or it's you know talking about suicide or whatever it is, Eminem. It always becomes that you can't say those things for some reason. People because people focus on the words, the words have a weight to it because the worst case scenario is that the listener uses their imagination. <laughs> I love that. You know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was like more intimidated by someone like Eminem than I was by like Robert De Niro, you know, hmm. even though Robert De Niro is totally comparably frightening in, in a bunch of movies. Yeah. I just was like listening to Eminem and going like, oh my goodness, you know. How do you cope with um, mentally with success? Awesome question. How do you cope with success mentally, Ross? Just uh... super curious. I don't want to. Like, I um, I'm I'm uh, I I don't know if I want to say I'm a workaholic because I'm work that's really. A good, that's a, I know what you mean though. I definitely bury myself in what's what what are my objectives in front of me and sure. to not to not try to. Yeah, I'm you know. I'm also like currently having success in a field that I would do for free if no one cared. Like yeah. that to me is like such a. If you just kind of always are like reinstilling that in yourself, yeah. like. The gratification I get from writing a song is like a, a lot of gratification that other yeah, but there's can't one thing. Me. Um, doing what you're doing to survive is one thing. Being listed one or two on a list of you know legends around you. For, I should have just said you'd have to ask you know? Louis Bell. That would have yes. been a really funny answer. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to ask Louis Bell. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think you'll co-write outside of YouTube for for a Billy record, or is it sort of right now? It's it's so fun because I think it would be up to her. I th- honestly like. I think that would just be her call. Yeah. yeah, she she really like, and I like, I don't want to minimize her, but like she she would probably say if she's here. So I'm I'm I feel comfortable saying like she doesn't particularly write like writing. Like she's a really good writer, and like any song that she has like fifty percent of, if you check the track listing, like I really feel she wrote fifty percent of that song. But she doesn't like. It's very arduous for her. Like she, even if even if she writes it quickly and it's impre- you know, like she writes things sometimes. I'm like, oh my god, that's so great, you know. But it, it's like lifting a heavy weight, and so I think the, the fact that we do it in the most comfortable situation, if it's like me and her, she doesn't have to tell me anything before we write a song. But you know, we know each other super implicitly. Um, do you like writing? I love writing. It's like my favorite thing. Yeah, like I would, I, I've, I've said this before, but I, I like having written. I like, yeah, yeah. I, l- I like when it's done. I, well, I feel like there's so many parts of writing a song. Like it's if hard. we're going, if we're going to like the anatom, like just the, the, atomic level of it. Like there's, like getting the great rhyme is a great moment. Yeah, you know, and you get that like ten times a song. It's awesome. Yeah, I wrote a song the other day. It's like so many high fives. During that song with cool. the girl that I wrote it with, you know. Are you writing a lot outside of what you guys are doing? Are you writing with other artists now? Not a lot, a lot, because we we really tour a lot, and so I can't do it when I'm on tour. Um, I write with Billy on tour, and I write for myself on tour. But I do love writing with other people. So anytime the opportunity presents itself in LA and it, it like makes sense, I, I I do. I love writing with other people. So I learn so much every time. Are you going to? Release your music to radio, your personal my music. personal music. Um, 
to my understanding, and somebody's probably going to listen to this song and be like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But like, you kind of have to like run for president with radio. Like, you have to kind of campaign to mm-hmm. radio. You know? Yeah, you do. And sometimes it can be really expensive. And um, all the times, all the times it can be really expensive, mm-hmm. Ross. Let me tell you a thing or two about radio. Um, so, you know, I think like I I joke about this with my girlfriend a fair amount, which is like Ocean Eyes was the first song that Billy and I basically put out and it immediately got a lot of attention and there was sort of, it was buzzy. And so every step following it was pretty like, pretty planned out, you know, like like we'd write a song and there'd be like a release plan, you know, like, okay, the publicist needs five weeks to take it to, you know what I mean? And, and that's great. And it was like, the benefit of having people's attention, you know, and then you, even if you have people's, I mean, you know this, it's like the biggest artist in the world, unless, unless the whole deal is putting out a surprise album, there's this campaign of an album of like a single comes out and then there's five weeks and then there's the pre-order and then the tour is announced and it's a tour bundle with the, like there's so much stuff in the kind of like mechanics of rolling out a record. Um, and the thing I've really enjoyed about putting out my own music independently, which is what I'm still doing is like, I like I send it to my ma- my manager's mastered. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I don't go like here's like the first round of production, and I'm wondering if like I'm like hey here's the master and the artwork's done also, and we're let's put it out in six weeks. <laughs> that's that's making that makes you a record label. It does, but not a very good one. <laughs> like, it makes uh, me, like, fair enough. But um, do you feel like that's is that a goal of yours to get? To be on the business, I mean, there's some savviness to that too. Why, why you know, if you don't need the record label yet, yeah. and you know, then don't have one. But do you feel like this is a step into you becoming, um, you know, a, a record mogul? Um, <laughs> mogul talk. Uh, Welcome to mogul talk. Mogul talk with Ross Golan. Yeah. Um, I, I, all I'll say is like. I I am really excited and enthusiastic about like pretty much every angle of like the music industry and world and like getting like and the the great unifier is that everybody loves music in the music industry pretty much you know what yeah. I mean and like not all the same way but like you can get anybody in the music world talking about their favorite artist and they talk your ear off and that's really exciting especially if you can find any commonality with people yeah. um and so I'd love to be involved and I think you know you probably I've had this a million times, and it's a thing you get to do as a co-writer in a lot of ways. But don't you have, you have a label venture, don't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, like finding something or making something that you think is great, and having some say over whether that thing does as well as you think it should. Pretty awesome, you know. I think. Yeah, I mean the the short of it, the the business side of it is that I think my first record label i kind of started this thing in college and then took it out of college and i would got a uh how about john janik starting fueled by in college doesn't that just make you want to like kill yourself it's horrible <laughs> well this is the thing is that most people in college same sort of thing i was like oh i'm going to be able to run a record label right. and the first thing when you're younger is you think yeah i can run a record label and when you're older you realize you can you know <laughs> Um, but yeah, J- Janik, who's both of our A and R, how about that? He's you know that guy's a uh, that guy's a legend because he continues to sign stuff he likes and not necessarily stuff that that is what everyone else likes. He's always been willing to put his. Um, it seems like he's he's always willing to work on a project that everyone else is doesn't get. About. 
Yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Is that who did you sign with initially with him or who is your? How did you so sign Bi- to Interscope? So Billy. So I I managed to like keep myself out of the deal, which was part of the the benefit of it always being Billy, and not ever structuring it as a duo or anything. Um, you know, we did the kind of we got to meet with a bunch of people, and what we mainly found was that there were like people we liked everywhere, and it was sort of about the kind of actual kind of structuring of each company that was slightly different. Um, but we met with this dude, Justin Lubliner, who had an imprint at Interscope called Darkroom, and he was he's very young. I think he's twenty eight now, and so at the time he was like twenty five or twenty six, um, and. He was like, you know, obsessed and just like crazy passionate and kind of like, you know, like the kind of famous like, you know, once I'm president, I'll cure cancer. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why don't you just do it now? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you can do it, just do it now. Yeah, right. He was kind of like doing that, and it was sort of like we were all kind of taken aback by it. Like he was like throwing us like great things and opportunities, like when there was no guarantee we were going to sign with him or anything. You know. Sure. And it was like it was a good strategy because it was like really putting his money where his mouth was. It was just like check this out, I got you this, and do this, and then what about this? You know, and um, yeah, it's a risk worth taking. It if is you, if you really believe in something, you kind of have to. I go kind there. of think you should probably do it even if you don't end up landing it because you were the guy that did yeah. it anyway. You know, and if they go somewhere else, you're like, well, I actually got them that really good yeah. thing. Um, but he has this imprint at Interscope, and John, to John's credit. Uh, was was present during our first, like Billy and my first in-person meeting with Justin. So Billy is signed to the imprint Darkroom through Interscope. But um, yeah, we we interface with Justin Lubliner. I mean, we interface. With, like, you, I mean, you know, like you know, so many people at your label after a couple months. Like, yeah. there's tons of people that I love at Interscope. Um, but yeah, Billy's technically on the imprint Darkroom, which is great. And Justin Lubliner is like. Makes everyone else I know look like they don't work hard. That works super hard, and like just has this Midas. T- he's he's Alec Benjamin's manager. He's just like blowing that kid up right now. Yeah, it's so impressive. Yeah, I really have like a lot of admiration for Justin. Um, you mentioned your girlfriend, which means that you have a social life. <laughs> I just don't understand how that's possible right now. How do right you have now. a social life? Um. Well, I don't have a social life. I have a girlfriend. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a really big difference. Uh-huh. <laughs> she has a social life, and I have her, and so I know her friends. Right. Um, yeah, I uh, I met her in September, and we had a couple mutual friends through music. I had written a couple songs with Rebecca Black of Friday Fame. Yeah. A couple years ago, um, who is a really sweet, really genuine, very tasteful person with like. Great taste in did music. Did you do her second single? I did a song called Satellite with her. Yeah, I don't. And she actually like people. Did I do Saturday? Do you? Mean? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember, you know, it's like that. It's a weird thing because she it became so famous, and then people mocked it, and then people were like, "I mean, this is actually just pop music," <laughs> you know. And it and it it's. It's one of the feeds. Sometimes people get made fun of, or it becomes a joke, and it stays in joke land. It's different when you know um, Carly Rae's a great artist, 
but there's a fine line between Call Me Maybe and Friday from what's yeah. the best, what's literally nominated for a Grammy and right. what's considered a joke online is a slight melodies switch over here, yeah. but that vibe and that that bubble gum that's attached to it is yeah. not. It's very they're not in they're not in whole other one, one of, yeah. universes. No, and one of the things that I was I was very relieved about was like you know I didn't shouldn't walk in. I was like I'm glad we did this session on a Thursday. Like you know it was I was just treating her like a, any writer sure. singer. Um, and she's just a really make that joke just throughout that session. Just be like oh man, she's a really good. Um, she's really good. She's a really good writer and a really good singer and. And because I'm the same age as her, basically, like I was 13 when Friday came out, and so I was just like, I was like, if you're willing, like I've just got to ask you some questions about how that was because I was your age, like I was like the peer to that, you know. And she was super open about talking about it, and um, and you know, it's also like she's so young and internet exclusive fame, which it basically was, is such a specific kind of thing, and uh, and when Billy started to get Kind of a little bit famous. There were some like creepy emails from creepy people, and I called Rebecca. I was like, "Hey, we're getting like creepy, creepy fans," and she was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> like the internet, you know." And uh, and it turns out we've talked to a lot of security about this that there's a tier of fame that's like way below like a listers that there's way more creepy people in because even crazy like mentally unstable people. See like a Katy Perry, and they're like, well, they're unattainable. They're like the most famous, but like that that fucking tragedy where the guy shot Christina Grimmie. Yeah, like the worst my worst nightmare. Like her older brother was standing next to her. Like I think about that way too much. But you know, she was in that uncanny valley of fame where it was like, like had some notoriety, but was like, you know, not. Beyonce, famous. Are you famous? Uh, no, I don't think so. Do you get stopped? Yes, but but I'm pretty un un uh, unbothered. It's not you ever a bother, but I just mean like I don't. I definitely don't have any like. I can go anywhere and just like do my thing, and maybe one person in the course of my day, I'll be like, hey, I just wanted to you know say some sweet thing. Can but, you know, Billy walk around? No. Yeah, it's been a really like, it's been a really interesting year, and I'll only talk about my experience with it because I don't want to. Yeah, as you should. Um, I don't want to say opinions of hers that aren't her opinions. For me, a lot of it as a protective older brother seems very disrespectful and very inhumane in fame. Like we were walking through an airport in Milwaukee the other day, and like the TSA were all just filming her on their phones. Wow. And I was just like, you guys fucking do your job. Like, what the fuck is going You're, you're going to film us and then be like, take your shoes off. Like, I was like, you can't do both, you know? Right. And, uh, and so that's like, that's like some, some level of thing that I probably should just make peace with. But yeah, I mean, like, there's such a weird, it's such a weird thing. I think people, the, the thing that I mainly talk about, and like, this is a pretty taboo subject. So ultimately, they get cut out of this because, it's very hard to stomach someone talking about fame if if it seems desirable in any way. But um, I don't think that that's. You don't think so? I don't think that's true. Okay. I think you should feel comfortable talking about it because I think it's real. I think yeah. it's different when somebody wants to be yeah. famous for the sake of being famous. Yeah. 
whatever. Fuck yeah, it. horrible. But if you yeah. if you want to be a musician and yeah. you write some, these songs and you become famous because the music's good, sure, and, and then you have to yeah. deal with that. That's and a different. Never thing. would I ever ever have like. Like just if you're like listening to this and you're a fan of Billy's or or mine or anyone's, no one, maybe somebody, maybe some like old crotchety person, but ninety nine percent of people, if you go like, hey, sorry to interrupt, you just wanted to say I love your music or your TV show or your whatever, everyone's gonna be like, oh, thanks, that's just nice, that's just like literally a compliment, you know. There's just a difference when you're like actually asking somebody to stop what they're doing for your benefit, you know. And there's definitely a lot of like, yo, my friend listens to you all the time. I got to get a picture. They're going to freak. And you're like, okay, you know, like even if you're like in the middle of your dinner at a table and stuff where it's just like a different, it's like, it's like a request. You know what I mean? I feel like that would be like, it's like the same as like if you walked up to a stranger you'd never met at a table and you're like, yo, can you just take a picture of me? <laughs> the person would be like, excuse me? You know, it's like, it's yeah. like bothering somebody, yeah. you know? That's just of me. And do you go up to someone you don't know and you say, yeah. take a picture of us? Yeah, take a picture of us, please. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I don't know you. Because I have a friend somewhere that's going to get a kick out there's of There's also this a lot thing. of like instances. <laughs> there's a lot of instances where like you don't want to get a picture. Like you're like on a plane and you like smell bad, you know? It's like, yeah. You like smelled good when you got on the plane and then you just stewed on the plane for like 14 hours and you land in Melbourne and you're like, I don't smell so good anymore. Yeah. Hey, can I get a photo? You know? Um, so it's interesting to navigate and, um, I got to give Billy a lot of props for it. She's like, I think, in the same way that she comes across in her music in person with people. I think she's like, I watch her interact with kids, and I'm like, damn. If I met a person that I really looked up to as a musician, and they treated me that way, I would be so stoked. You know, amazing. Yeah. What happens next for you? Well, the kind of like day to day of everything is that we tour a lot for the next several years, <laughs> um, but we. We definitely aren't going to tour for the next several years without putting out a lot of new music as a, you know, Billy and I together. Um, I get to work on some other cool artists' albums this year, which has been really fun. Um, Can you say who? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as as you probably know better than most, like, I don't know if the songs are going to make the record, but sure. I've been having so much fun writing with Camila Cabello. Yeah. Um, she's so good. Yeah. She is like, like I think I want to talk about this for a second, just because I think about it a lot. Which is that, like, the first several months, the first several hundred writing sessions I did, I had such a desire to be useful and come up with a really good line. You know, like even if you're writing with like three great writers, I was like, I really want to be the guy that came up with the pre-chorus of this, just so that they think I'm good. You know. Because it was like I, I felt like I had so much to like prove, I guess you know, and you didn't want like people to be like, "How was that session?" Be like, "Well, you didn't really do much," you know. I was just like desperate to do stuff with somebody like Camila. Like I'm like I'm like the best version of myself in this session is like a good listener because she's so good and she's making her album and like sometimes I'll get a line in, you know, like I'll just think of something and she'll love it and that's like the right way to go. And in her case, I'm definitely like. Focusing on a lot of the kind of music side of everything, where it's all kind of. Do you think of yourself as a songwriter or producer? I songwriter, but the lines are so blurred. Yeah. You know, you get to do both. It's weird with a when there are five people in a room, you just have to throw in twenty percent. 
to be an equal writer if you were to really break it down. Really I true. mean, most of the people that are on this show yeah. have are people who can't keep their mouth shut and they're probably <laughs> 50, 60, 70% of a song. Right, even, know, if even, they're if, even if they're one of five. Even if they're one of five. Totally. You know, and sometimes part of the trick when you write with artists is to keep your mouth shut for a while and let them have some ownership in it. Because if you go yeah. through that entire session and you come up with all the ideas and it's not really about them anymore, yeah. you know, you need to be a listener. Not to that, is yeah. tw- that is the 20%. Really that is the 30% yeah. is being the one in the room that can get that person to say what they really right. mean. And so I think the other thing to me, and this is production-wise, and this is also like I think really as a songwriter, is like I I always strive to be like, like the opposite of like a, you know, like a signature, like whatever, like whatever song, whatever kind of song I make, like I want to make whatever kind of song the artist makes, and hopefully like the best version of that. Yeah, you know? cool. Like I really like. I feel like there's a lot of writers right now where like I think even just people who aren't even aware of like songwriting as a kind of an industry can tell somebody wrote one song and somebody wrote another song, mm-hmm. and I. I think that cheapens both artists. Yeah, it doesn't really make the writer look so bad, but it makes yeah. the artists look kind of bad. I mean, it's, even when you have someone like Ed Sheeran, who's super high profile, who's writing music for so many other artists, um, it's interesting that it doesn't make it. Maybe over time, it'll dilute his sound. But it's so interesting that when an artist, it's killed a few writers' careers when they've wanted to be artists. I, I you know, totally know what it, you mean. I think about it a lot. You know, and I think when you have a when you have somebody who's already well known who's writing for other people, yeah. it's slightly different. But yeah, I mean, I I think you listen to, especially you know any any given time for top forty, whether it's going back to the Brill Building or it's going to Motown right. or it's going to you know it's always you can tell you know what community wrote the song. It's so true. Yeah, and I I yeah I mean. Who do you want to write with? Um, my list of people is like really abstract and weird. Like, yeah, I'd love to write with Shaky Graves. <laughs> do you know Shaky Graves? Uh-uh. He's awesome. She knows Shaky Graves. He's is this guy named Alejandro. He was in Spy Kids three. I don't know if you knew that. I I was an avid Friday Night Lights the TV show viewer. There's a plot line where um, Coach Taylor's daughter starts dating a, <laughs> dating a boy. That they only ever refer to as the Swede, and Eric's like, <laughs> "Oh, you're going to see the Swede again," and she's like, "His name is Eric, Dad, like or whatever." You're like, "His name's Chris," and I was like, "Wow, what a weird. This guy doesn't look Swedish at all. Like, this is such a weird. They clearly cast this guy after they called him the Swede." And then I was watching Audio Tree. Do you ever watch Audio Tree, Ross? It's like uh-uh. a YouTube in studio kind of like BBC Live Lounge but I think Audio I mean Tree's, after you send me all these links I will but yeah go ahead I think Audio Tree's in Chicago yeah but cool anyway I'd heard the name Shaky Graves like once I clicked on it and I was like oh, it's the Swede from Friday, from Friday wow. Night Lounge but he's this like really better than the, than the guy from the Subway commercial <laughs> I think Subway commercial would be even crazier. Whoever's attached yeah. to Jared Fogel's prison yeah, record exactly. is the hardest producer of all time, and that dude has like no conscience and is like not planning on going to heaven. Um, yeah, so Shaky Graves would be really cool. Um, I don't. I mean, like, I feel like I love writing for people that like are brand new and 
Like anyone that hasn't, like when if you can get like one little chip on like someone's great third album, that's pretty awesome. But I think like crafting like the origin story of somebody is like way better. Yeah, the the two things that have currency in the music business is someone who can break a career or someone who can revitalize a career. Totally. So I think yeah. those those two things to me are like really exciting, and I, I don't yeah. feel qualified to revitalize anyone's career yet in my, <laughs> in my life. Those happen by accident because usually well, you I've write. Been, I've been asked on purpose to do it like twice, and I'm always like, who. Who do you think you're talking about? Right. <laughs> Barely started having a career. Myself. Well, that's what's weird is right now if you want if you work on an artist that someone doesn't know yet, right? You have your your name can carry the weight a little bit now. A little bit right now, yeah, a little bit. Is that weird? Oh, it's really cool. It's really awesome. I wish my name could have carried people like before my name could carry people because it would have helped them. It would have been awesome. But but yeah, I think like brand new artists, and then I like the this sounds really selfish, and it is really selfish. But like I think people often like some artist to like post a song that Billy or I have been involved in, and yeah. we'll, we'll immediately get pinged with an email from someone on our team like, "Do you want to get in the studio with them?" And we're like, "No, we idolize them, and it's enough that they're like enjoying our like that's like the like any form of mutual admiration is like so dope." And you don't always have to like go find out that like you don't really like your hero, yeah, yeah. you know. So it's it's a slippery slope for sure. We've definitely been I've been really lucky in that like a lot of people like like I I've loved the artist Father John Misty for several years. Yeah, cool. And John Janik publishes Father John Misty, and of course, just like right before the album came out, I was like, "Do you want to write with Father John Misty?" And I was like, "Yeah." Yes. Yeah. And he came over and we talked about like. Marvel movies and politics for like twelve hours and wrote nothing, and I was like, "This is the best day of my life." <laughs> I mean, and the whole point of—I'm so jealous that you have a podcast. This hour is my favorite part of every writing session with everybody. I just don't monetize it. <laughs> I, just... I mean, that—that that was how it started. It's—it's it's so funny when you talk about like Cameron Diaz, probably around that time. She's. Because like I went to I went to her wedding. She's married to Benji Madden, mm-hmm. and I was working with Benji when they were doing the Madden Brothers post uh, Good Charlotte, pre Good Charlotte. <laughs> 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 and I brought in one of my really good friends, who's um, uh, his name's Reed Scott. He's he was in Veep, if you know the show, the show. Veep, and he was he's, he's an actor. He's in Venom. He's like you know. Um, shout out Reed, and I brought Reed to a session with Benji. I was like, I just want you to see what the first hour is, because this is this will be crazy. Just we're just gonna sit there, and I'm gonna just let you listen to to what it, what it is. And you you sit with someone like a, a Benji Madden who has a, it's such a crazy story. You know, you're a, yeah. a punk rocker from Baltimore, and you become the biggest rock band for a few years and right. you go you know you write for all kinds of other people you become a business like all the other things you learn all this in an hour and you've I never know. met this person and the people in the music industry you can't explain it but no one else that i can think of sells air for a living we have the whole idea of intellectual property even when it's a painting you can see it when it's a picture you can see it when you know you can't can't copyright food, so the one thing you can copyright that is that it's really ethereal is audio. It's audio. 
So and so cool. we're trying to do, and so the people, who are the people, they're all people who probably should have been homeschooled. <laughs> do you know what I mean? 100%. They're all people who didn't, didn't really interact well, so they went and did something, or they interacted too well, and, and then they, they got sober. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's always these super quirky humans. Did you, do, did you abuse or enjoy substances at any point in your life, like majorly? I was in behavioral problem classes in junior high, which is kind of strange. Um, I just uh, I think they confused class clowns and smartasses and didn't allow me to do like foreign language with other kids because I was too disruptive and right. I was kind of disruptive. You're actually just like writing material, probably. Yeah, I wrote. I started writing short stories even then in like eighth grade. I mean, that's I, I definitely was into that, but. I I was so good. I was just I've been a, a kind of a workaholic even through high school. Oh, I definitely was. I don't think yeah. I had a, you know, it'd be like hockey practice into student council, and that's before the school day yeah. started. Go all the way through school, n- you know, never had a break to yeah. class during. That was kind of the thing that like never as, took a break. And like I I'm not discounting like luckiness, but like at twenty. One, which I am now, like a lot of friends of mine are like getting out of college because yeah. they were like the year older than I was, like young for my grade. But I was, I wasn't in high school, and they all kind of were. I knew all, like I was pretty much only friends with like kids that were in public school. And they, like, the kind of like success metric or like, or, like whatever, like they're all having like existential crisis that I felt like I was having from like thirteen to now. Because I knew so clearly like what I wanted to do and like what I wanted to succeed in. And I was like, I have no idea if I ever will succeed in that, ever. And I was just like, I'm just gonna like write several songs a day every day and try to like send petulant emails to people like Danny, who's now my manager, you know, just like just trying whatever I could. And now I have friends that are like, like, I'm like, I think you've forgotten that I did that for like the last like seven years. Well, that's kind of, you know like it's that's, just offset by seven years. Like maybe seven years from now, they'll all be where exactly where they want to be. But it was like I did that for the last seven. You know, we we said this when you know Julia Michaels is a good example of somebody who started at sixteen when she as a as a professional writer. So by the time she was twenty three and on this podcast, she had had more experience than most people, or maybe right. the same amount of time that I had had writing for other people. I Do mean, you listen to the Dax Shepard? Armchair yes, Expert podcast. Yeah, sure. I love. I'm like just a fan of his. I've never met him ever, yeah. but I love that podcast. But isn't it funny to you, especially in acting, because I think actors all skew old. But yeah. he's often like, <laughs> "Where, where were you at 25?" And yeah. the person's like, "Oh, <laughs> drifting." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and I'm like, "Wow." Reassuring that four years from now, I I could just still be drifting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a kind of a cool like how long life is. It's very like comforting to me. Yeah. I like that. All right, let's do this next segment because I feel like I could just talk to you for a while and then it's going to be a nine-hour episode. <laughs> Six-parter with Phineas. And we're, cool, like, do a yeah. whole making a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm doing enough um, of the murder genre right now. Um, all right, five for five. We're going to go. I'm going to name a name and you're just going to tell me what the first thing is off the top of your head. Okay. Danny and Brandon. Uh, passionate. John Janik. Eagle Eye. Oh, that's cool. It's an interesting one. Thanks. Let's go with your parents. Loving. I like that. Do they understand what's going on with you? With me? 
Yeah, like do they get the, all the like how crazy this is? Or are they the only? They're two the people they're who get the it? ones that get it. Yeah, we don't um, get it. They get it. They're always like, "Do you do you understand?" <laughs> Let's go with Louis Bell. I've uh talented. I've never met Louis, but I lo- like he every time I like love anything this year. I'm like, who? I'm like, oh, it's Louis. It's awesome. Very deserving of his success. And I was in a meeting at Sony yesterday, and I heard that he does lots of impressions, and I do lots of impressions. And now I want to have coffee with him and talk to him about that. Can you give me an impression? No. Can you do I knew that. Impre- I knew that was. Can you do an happen. impression of me? I feel like everyone does an impression of me. I feel that's like you probably. Good, I think like, that's a good place to be in. That's I. I heard John Mayer in an interview the other day talk about like if there's an item of clothing that someone's like that looks like something that. Ross Golan would wear. You've made it. Like that. That's like how you know what I mean. I just get stopped a lot because people like when I get stopped, it's because someone says I recognize your voice. Wow. So I feel like it's you go into Starbucks and you're like a cappuccino, please. Like you like have to fake your voice. <laughs> I want a cappuccino, please. You're like, Is that Ross? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Uh, Billie Eilish. Hilarious. Uh, I like that. That's cool. She's so funny. Well, thank you for doing this, man. I'm so happy to have you know been here. I was really excited when I got sent the email that I could do this. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool. Well, I mean, look, you're obviously, um, like I said in the beginning, it's it, it. We're just getting to the beginning of your career but where it could people also be can. The end. <laughs> <laughs> we're just getting. We're just getting to the end of your career, so I wanted to get you now while it was still cool. I have a lot of people in this podcast in the sunset of their career, and you're one of them at 21. Yeah. Well, you don't know it. Twilight Look, of his career, man. You do not know Swan when they are. Swan diving gracefully, gracefully into <laughs> irrelevance. We're doing a bunch of. We're we're starting to do some updates, and you know where where people oh, so where are. Where are they now? Kind of because I mean, look at look at where uh, you know. I, I hope we get Ali Tamposi on. Ali Tamposi is in the last two years, you know, whatever Spotify Secret Genius Award has been the songwriter of the yeah. year. You know, it's like she's she went on and did so much, and we only did her interview three years ago. You know, it's not to say she wasn't. She was obviously successful before that. And she was successful then, but now she's super. Successful. But she's now now it's you know you just never know when sure. uh, you know if it, look it's it has so much to do with the human and so little to do with the the music for me. I just I'm a I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a music fan. I'm a song fan but for you're sure. A big people fan. But I love the people who are in this industry. Me too. That's I'm in the same boat. That's why I like the industry so much. But it is strange. I know that that this is the only the first time we're meeting, but um, uh, you're a very easy person to talk to. Thanks, man. And I think for you to have a level head on right now says so much about your parents. They're your, pretty awesome, man. Your your family says a lot about you know to be surrounded by other people who are. Clearly supportive in you being an artist on your own and being able to pursue other things and to be able to go on this journey together as a family is That's kind crazy. of the dream scenario, man. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I see them more like I live in I live alone now, but like I see them more on the like on tour than we all do like at home, unless Billy and I are like in really like a writing zone. That's so cool. Like, you know, because I feel yeah. like a lot of people like touring like Takes you away from your family. It's pretty awesome to like be like, 
oh, I get to go on like a prolonged sleepless summer vacation with the folks and with Laura. It's great. We bring Laura now. She was like, I don't know if I if anyone told you, but I'm coming with you on this tour. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Touring is a lot of work, but it's pretty great. Well, thanks again for doing this, and hopefully this isn't the end of your career. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.